0: Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, the podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics, focuses on tax controversy work, and looks at related issues in tax news. I am your host, William Schmidt. Okay, welcome once again to another episode of Tax Justice Warriors. I am William Schmidt, Clinic Director of Legal Aid of Western Missouri.
1: And I'm Andrew Belter from Wisconsin Judicare.
0: All right, Andrew. So... Yeah, we were, we were just chatting and pretty much I'm going to throw out some of the latest tax topics and we're going to give a little bit of our feedback. So I was telling Andrew that I was reviewing a good amount of my client list and at least the ones I reviewed today, the majority of them, I don't have access to their transcripts. So I don't know if that's just a trend with the CAF unit of of not processing the the 2848s that I'm uploading and designating to the LiTC ones for processing, but they're, they're just a low amount of ones getting processed and I, I was just mentioning like like there was one that came through that they just didn't process where, I was the only one of the attorneys that had signed and they rejected it because they wanted all the attorneys to sign, but I've done ones where I'm the only one listed and that didn't get processed or where we tried it with a sub power from prior a prior power of attorney, only there had just been some transition on which attorneys were on the form but basically I'm getting a little frustrated in wanting to do work for clients and it just doesn't seem like I have access to do the work. I'll admit
1: that I've had some not processed and I you know, give it a good two, three weeks, try and pull transcripts a couple times, then I'll resubmit a power of attorney. And once in a while that'll work. I know you're not supposed to do that, they say not to, But after a certain amount of time, I just assume that it got lost or it wasn't read properly or or who knows why, but then I get the correct, you know, submission in and I can finally get the transcripts. I've had spelling mistakes on on my power of attorney for the 2848 because the client wrote their last name, inverted two letters. And. That held up me getting power of attorney for a couple weeks, which I thought was a little ridiculous on the processing of the power of attorney part, but I guess you got to have it exact. Then I know every now and then I'll be having problems and I'll notice a client dated it wrong where, you know, instead of saying 20, now 2022, they might wrote 2021, so then I have to be a whole other new power of attorney. So I, I've encountered things like this, and but I've never encountered it, a permanent uh, inability to get one processed.
0: Yeah, on, on some of them I'm, I'm wondering whether it's, whether I should just upload it again or send something back to the client to get them to re-sign. I don't know, I, I submitted a SAMS, submission on, I think it was Friday, that I'm just throwing out there the idea of tax clinics have a decent enough turnover that it would be nice, you know, whether, I don't know if it's an, would be an institutional access or what, but just so that when one attorney leaves and another one comes on or, you know, it it doesn't have to be attorney, can can be whatever staff member, but that, that there isn't the interruption in, in representation or communication between the tax the clinic and the IRS. So, I don't know. I mean, especially because of things being so backed up at the IRS. I'm, I'll admit this is, I guess, a pet peeve for me today. I, I don't know.
1: Having things backed up at the IRS.
0: Well, I mean, there's
1: today or the the power of attorney specifically. Yeah.
0: The the power of attorney specifically, but, but in general, I mean. mean,
1: A couple of them, my client received a letter saying we received the power of 2848. It is not completed. There is no social security number written in the box. Please provide it. And they show a print, you know, a, a picture of the 2848. And for two of my clients, the, social security number was there and me and the client were just very confused we thought like what? yeah i guess we'll just resubmit it but it's right there so (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i I remember another clinic director talking about like well patrick thomas when when he was working at at one of the law schools he was talking about all of the problems that that they would have for students sending in the the 2848s and I, I think he also said we're, we're like they would return one of them saying there was an error and and you could also see, well, we did it correctly on, on what you sent back to us. So yeah, it's it's very confusing, but I don't know. I mean, like I I had been surveying my clients and so many of them have collection issues that if if I had access and I don't know it I guess this is a tiny bit me venting but if I had access to the IRS I I would think things would would be running a lot smoother (laughs) and you know hopefully with a lot of clients that if I got them into currently not collectible status I could close out their cases and and move on but instead we're we're getting notices of intent to levy and you know so that that causes me to stress and i'm sure that that does for them but yet i don't know what i can do about it
1: practitioner priority service and submit the 2848 direct and that well, while you're on the phone i guess yeah if you can get through to pps
0: yeah exactly that i wait on the phone however long and then i have to go down the hall and fax it and then you know, wait for the confirmation and then come back to the phone. So
1: and I'm pretty I and at least for me, maybe two out of ten, what so one fifth of the time my, my call gets dropped on practitioner priority service. So that's not helping my mood, but
0: yeah. It's easy yeah. enough to call back. I mean, but but yeah, if if you've waited for an hour and then your call gets dropped. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I I was going to just bring up a, a few other items that like I, I was mentioning to Andrew, there was a recent um, Tax Rep Network podcast. So Eric Green was talking with Gwen Moore who wrote an article for Forbes that a decent amount of, of these backups with the IRS are problems with, from Congress specifically that so many of the so much of the budget from the from congress to the IRS is is earmarked for specific uses and evidently the commissioner doesn't have the power to change that so if people in charge at the IRS see that there is a problem with a certain department and they need more funding they're not able to take it from one department and apply it to another department so I I don't know I it's been interesting to learn about the history of things with Congress and, and the IRS that I mean certainly it's been political that that some parties haven't wanted to fund the IRS because it was in favor or, or not but now there's just been a history of, of the IRS, being underfunded, and now that things don't get get done in Congress, and I don't know. I mean, I I, th- I think again, I don't know if you if you just said it on the podcast or right before, but again, the the taxpayers are just bearing the burden of things not running right at the IRS, not running smoothly, and that that is similar to it. Feels a lot like
1: funding for our nonprofits where they give us funds that we can only use in specific areas they don't give us any non earmarked funds that would make sense for the IRS to have a a pot of funds that can be used on anything for emergencies that would make a lot of sense but apparently they don't have that
0: yeah and well Nina Olson was saying that like there's there's one forum that was going to be asking her to write some articles during the tax season, and and one of them she's going to be saying that that the IRS should be invoking some emergency powers and and trying to to apply that for for funding for for the phones and um, well maybe maybe instead it was um, tax return processing that with the pandemic getting these returns processed would, would technically be an emergency. So, I mean, I, I think that's, that would be a good use of funds.
1: <laughs> I had a surprise, a good surprise. Last week, I was checking transcripts. I just checked certain clients every month to see if tax returns are processed yet. And one of my clients had 15, 16, 17 and 18 processed, but not 20 yet. So apparently they're working on some of the older ones they still have some employees working on them which i think is a good thing because you can't just completely ignore those older ones but yeah i don't know i don't know how they're gonna process all these new tax returns the 2020 tax returns then people like you and me are sending in clients 2016 17 18 tax returns
0: yeah i for another timing thing so like for one client, they sent before I was here, they sent in a, a collection due process hearing request last February. And so now I'm getting the scheduling that it's coming up March 1st, that he's getting his his hearing. So a year? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's going to be an equivalent hearing. And from what I can tell on the file, in in the meantime. They've gotten the offer and compromise processed, and he paid it. So I think he doesn't have any problems anymore. Oh. But I don't have access to confirm any of that.
1: So just have to have a hearing just to sign off on everything.
0: Yeah, I think so. But I I found it interesting, though, that it it was a year later that that he's getting his hearing. So that's... (laughs) Yeah, I have one client who verified her identity over a year
1: ago and for some reason it's not released yet. I'm very close to going to TAZ but they're overwhelmed. Yeah. Which complicates everything that every avenue is overwhelmed for solving these problems.
0: Yeah, I, I have to say though, IRA's chief counsel seems to be working smoothly like they're they're the only department that things seem to be going well on that there were two clients I filed petitions on January 3rd and one of them I got the answer last week the other one I got it today so That that
1: is a pretty quick turnaround
0: yeah compared
1: to where it was six months ago
0: yeah so they're they're the only department I haven't Felt was was backed up at least. I haven't been keeping up to date with procedurally taxing, I'll I'll admit, but I did find it worth noting that like Keith Fogg has been reviewing the National Taxpayer Advocates annual report to Congress and providing different posts. So like he's been looking at what happens in tax court, like the like today posting about. That almost 80% of cases settle in tax court. So anyway, he's he's finding fodder for, for columns, just, just looking at the different graphs and, and charts and 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 different reports from the, the national taxpayer advocate. And then the main thing going on this week in tax, yeah, for one, just by the way, the tax season is underway. I haven't heard that there are any major problems. I've been receiving my tax documents from the, the different companies and so on. So I've, I have my W-2, so I've started my tax return, but I don't have everything yet. But yeah, the, the main thing happening this week is the American Bar Association tax section. They're having their virtual 2022 mid-year tax meeting so I don't know if the next one will be virtual or not we we comment on on that before but yeah they have they have different different committee meetings and so I was going to maybe just go through what I was thinking about attending and we'll see if we have
1: the same yeah ones down
0: yeah and and kind of talk about what's what's going to happen in them and and if there's anything that you know how how much will affect our practice or or not so okay the first one i'm going to turn to and yeah we're we're going to talk about these sessions by the time this is posted they will probably all have passed so but yeah the first one i'm going to talk about is on tuesday february 1st the Young Lawyers Forum and Tax Bridge to Practice. That okay. So for one thing, a couple of them are focusing on energy tax incentives. And I'll admit, for our clients, I don't know that 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 really interests me too much. But the second section from the Young Lawyers Forum and Tax Bridge to Practice is called the weight of authorities a primer on IRS administrative guidance. And so I thought I would sit in on that one and just see what I could learn about IRS administrative guidance. So your thoughts, Andrew?
1: I actually didn't catch that one on my schedule, but it sounds like one I should be attending. I'm actually playing
0: it in my calendar right now, Bill. (laughs) All right. Um, Okay, the next one, So on the morning of the 2nd, the Administrative Practice Committee will be looking at, to start out with important developments and then IRS collections actions in a time of COVID.
1: I have that one down. That one looks interesting. It looks important too. Yeah, so. I also have the court procedure presentation scheduled for that day. I don't know if you have that one scheduled
0: yeah court pra- procedure and practice so i i like with that committee i think they always have a tax court update just kind of what what some current developments are well actually yeah the current developments i think they kind of try and and contact yeah with chief counsel and the tax court just just getting an overview of what's what's going on lately and then yeah, the, the second part of their committee, um, the su- Supreme Court and the 30-day CDP petition deadline, the discussion of Bachelor v. Commissioner. And so yeah, the, the current developments is going to have like Tax Court Chief Judge Foley, and then people from Chief Counsel, Tax Counsel to U.S. Senator Portman, and Appellate Section Chief with the Department of Justice. Then the second part on Bachelor v. Commissioner, it's moderated by Brian Camp. And then Keith Fogg is one of the panelists on that panel. So I think that'll be interesting. So yeah, I usually take a peek at what diversity, what that panel normally does. Yeah, this, this one is, focusing on environmental, social, and governance initiative and in tax policy. So I'm not sure if I will sit in on that, but yeah, I, I guess I was confusing that with, with the other one with energy on the Young Lawyers Forum, but I usually do check in on the diversity committee just for our client base, What what's going on. That's smart. I never thought about it like that, but this one is environmental so yeah so also of note on that day okay they have the administrative practice and court procedure networking event and they don't really give a lot any details on that but because i had joined that group i received a notice that they posted to to one of the listservs so sorry let me find it in my Emails first.
1: Now I guess this would be a good chance to explain how does a Zoom network event happen? Because I've never attended one. I never, I haven't thought it would be productive given it'd be via Zoom, but maybe I'm wrong. How does a Zoom networking event happen,
0: Bill? Yeah, I'll I'll admit that they they are kind of mixed in in how useful they are because at the networking events, like for one thing, it's over Zoom and with Zoom, you can only have one person talking at a time. So it's, it's not like an in-person networking event where you meet someone and you wanna just go have a side conversation and and you can go do that. So, you know, and unfortunately a lot of Zoom things are really just good for for one person speaking to a group, though for networking events, some of them have tried to do breakout rooms where, you know, maybe it is like four or five people in a breakout room, and then it's at least easier for you to take turns talking rather than you know dozens of people.
1: You know what I think would be a fun recommendation turn all these network events into a speed dating template, not literally speed dating, but, you know, every two minutes you get matched up one-on-one to network and it's all random. So you could, so I, a younger attorney could get paired with a 70 year old, you know, very experienced attorney. And then you, you, you're one-on-one with that person talking about, oh, what, what do you do? How is it? Things like that. I think that would be neat.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. But it, but in the okay, so in the email I received, it said at this networking event they will have speakers Tom Cullinan, counsel to the commissioner, and Carolyn Shank, National Fraud Council, speaking on current enforcement priorities for IRS beyond con- conservation easements, micro captives, etc. So I, I thought that sounded interesting, would be, you know, worth hearing on perhaps what IRS chief counsel, some of the directions they're going in, like they've given a notice that that they're going to be hiring more attorneys to be focusing on tax schemes. So I thought that would be an interesting panel to, to hear more information. I mean, all, although they're, Noting it as a networking event. So I don't know if it's just going to be speakers at the beginning and that's all it will be. But it's it's not for CLE at least. But yeah, for people who are kind of tax nerds like me, you know, maybe maybe they would find it interesting, even though it's not quite L I T C. But any direction that that chief counsel is going in, I I find it interesting. So next, I'm going to turn to what's going on on Thursday. So, is that taking care of your your Wednesday?
1: Yes, yes. I'm okay. I'm not signed up for too many sessions because I'm pretty swamped.
0: So okay, fair enough. But yeah, on Thursday the third, there's the pro bono and tax clinic committee. So that's that's always something for us. And the first session is low income. SALT so advocating for low-income taxpayers in state tax matters and SALT is the acronym for state and local tax and I will admit that I have a little bit of insider information on this in that Nina Olson is one of the speakers and so I've been on some of her weekly phone calls and she is trying to use the Center for Taxpayer Rights that she's been working on that as a resource for low-income taxpayer clinics and part of what they're trying to do is gather information from clinics on what it's like working with state and local tax collections and the the Department of Revenues and so on to to be able to share those resources but also trying to get funding perhaps from the states or other places to fund clinics for working with with the states on tax issues. So so we're not only specifically authorized and receiving funds for for just federal, which it's nice that if we're working a federal case, we we can also work a state tax case if it's connected but I mean, and those of us who work at legal aid organizations, we do have LSC funding that we can assist some clients if if they meet low-income criteria when it comes to state and local tax issues. But it, it would be nice to, to get more funding to resolve those issues.
1: I've thought about that to reach out to the state and ask them to if there's any money available. Because I, I know my state agency, they have a habit of any of people who have unfiled tax returns of sending them to the clinics. They have us written down on like a little piece of paper. And they give them the paper and say, here, here they, they can help you. And I always thought that was a little abusing the system to just send them our way to complete tax returns. But it normally works because if you have state issues, then you have IRS issues, and then ultimately we could file a tax return, but just to send, keep sending people our way, our way, our way, I thought they might be willing to give some money, but and I, I have not gotten around to being that bold yet.
0: Yeah, I, my situation is a little different. I don't, I don't know that I've gotten any direct referrals from, from any of the states. So I don't think I'm I'm in your place where where you at least have some justification to ask for that funding. But but yeah, I, th- I think that's that's in general what at, at least part of what the that panel will focus on. And like I I have a a survey that I've received for passing on information on state tax procedures to them so certainly I can I can send that on um, if you or any other clinicians are, are wanting to fill that out it's kind of a long survey I must admit but um, then the the second part of the committee meeting is the national taxpayer advocate update and I think in general that's been a tradition of the pro bono and tax clinic committee meetings was to have different updates from the National Taxpayer Advocate. So I'm glad that that we'll have one here in February. Yeah, maybe there would be some feedback
1: about how filing season is going. I, it's pretty quick. It's not much time to get information because it just started this week, I think, right? But I am curious to see how filing season goes.
0: Or. I think we're a week into it, but but yeah.
1: so Yeah, maybe there'll be some update about, you know, things are going exceptional, better than we hoped. That's what I hope to hear. Yeah.
0: Well, the next one I was going to listen to is the tax collection, bankruptcy and workouts. Same. Yeah.
1: Always love a good discussion about tax collection.
0: Yeah, and that focus is going to be Titled "A Deeper Look at Effective Tax Administration: Special Circumstances and Doubt as to Liability Offers in Compromise," so I'm I'm thinking that'll be a great presentation on on those categories of offers in compromise. So I I think it'll be pretty informative. Yeah, the the other one I'm going to mention is the is tax practice management, and they're they're always a good one for uh, reviewing ethics. So so certainly if you're needing ethics CLEs, that the tax practice management, they do good reviews of what are some ethics concerns to have, especially when it comes to tax cases. So they're a good one to look at. Um, yeah, th- I'll double check which day. I thought it was that Thursday, but there's going to be the pro bono and tax clinic networking event and
1: at 2 30 to 4
0: oh okay yeah 2 30 to 4 central okay and then um I was looking at a later time they have the women in tax forum and that one they'll be discussing like different things for really guiding a person's career and so while I've while it's Women in tax is the the title. They're they're welcome to to different men showing up at for that Zoom meeting. And you know, basically, as long as the guy isn't a jerk, you're you're not going to be turned away. So yeah, if if you find it to be a good discussion, um, or I mean if you have interest in that topic, I, I think it would be worth attending there. So next I'm going to turn to Friday the 4th. And the the big one to me at that time is individual and family taxation, that they're going to be diving into math error notices. And so that's, that's more, again, a focus on IRS collections, specifically that there's been an increase in math error notices during the pandemic. And so they're going to be really examining that and so one of the main other people from procedurally taxing professor Les book will be on that panel and I I think they're like I I was on the planning group for individual and family taxation and I'm sure they're going to be doing a a really deep discussion of math error notices and how it affects taxpayers Uh, but at the same time I was also going to bring up, oh, okay, so I was was mentioning tax practice management without ethics one, but it's the the standards of tax practice, specifically that that they dive into ethics, that they're usually looking at ethics issues for the government and then um, other sides. But the second one is ethical considerations in pro bono representations and um, Nina Olson will be on that panel, and also Judge Layden from Tax Court. So I think those will be. I mean, it's it's on on the same time as the oh. math error notice. But um, with these virtual tax committee meetings, um, you can you can go back and watch the recording at a later time. But I'll admit, like once you get in the swing of, of your day or, or whatever, I don't really remember to like, okay, go back and view some of these ones. But I, I think that would be worth going back to hear what, what Nina Olson has to say and, and Judge Laden from the tax court and so on. So, okay, those those are the highlights of, of what I'm looking forward to with the, the mid-year tax meeting. So I guess real
1: quick, are each of these sections of the
0: or different divisions within the tax section? Yeah, there they're different committees. Committees. Yeah, within the within the tax section. And and actually, um, yeah, today there's a there's a deal about the the tax committees that if you're wanting to learn more about what the committees do and so on. I mean, even though by now I've I've gotten a, a little bit of a feeling for what committees are like, I, th- I think I may still. Yeah, it's an information and a networking session connecting with tax section committees for new and veteran members. So yeah, there are 36 substantive committees within the ABA tax section. So they're they're going to have that event for for just letting people know more about committees and, and how to get involved.
1: And I'm picking up that you're part of some committees.
0: I'm only part of the Individual and Family Taxation Committee. I'm the vice chair that, or a vice chair, there's like four or five. And yeah, really how that happened was, I think one of the current One of the past chairs invited me to a a planning meeting and I just kept showing up after that. And when it changed chairs, then Erin Stearns was formerly clinic director at the University of Denver Law School. And now she is with IRS chief counsel, but she's a friend of mine and she became the, the current chair of the individual and family taxation committee, and said, "Okay, William, you're you're going to be one of my vice chairs." I'm like, okay, very cool. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I've I've found that by being involved with the committee, that I could help plan what the presentations would be, and got involved with being a presenter by by helping out with the, the committee meetings. And yeah, it's, you know, one thing is that like, just because you're a speaker at an event doesn't mean anything is paid for unless you, you know, maybe you get a scholarship or, but otherwise it's your work or out of pocket to pay for that. Speakers still are, are required to get it taken care of for, for how it's all paid for, if if you're attending in person or, yeah, taking care of your, your hotel and flight and so on. But yeah, I, I definitely find that going to the committee meetings, I mean, it's the ABA tax section, just like the LITC conference, it is great for, you know the the word networking i i just find it's like okay it's i think of networking as as either making friends or professionally making contacts as as people you can talk about tax or or other related items you know it's it's great to meet someone from across the country who you can discuss these things with and it's it's great education that you know like as as we were talking through they try and get the the top people at the IRS to comment on these different topics and and so they're they're trying to get them in panels or people from tax the tax court judges or some some different other top names in the field to to be on these panels so they're they're definitely trying to get high level people commenting on these topics to to give you the the current status or, or other great input.
1: Yeah. They they do a great job with getting bright minds, the brightest minds to educate everyone and educate us. So I agree with everything you just said.
0: Yeah. And I mean, definitely for, for the tax clinics, they make it $25 for admission to the, the conference. So as long as they're doing these virtual conferences, it's a bargain and it's, it's still a bargain if it's an in-person one, but you know, then you have to take care of the flight and the, the hotel. So if, if it's local to you, then you luck out, but you know, otherwise then you have to make arrangements on, on whether you're attending in person or not. So anyway, I, I definitely recommend the ABA tax section meetings and, with all that discussion, I think we've had a full episode, Andrew.
1: One last comment is this past week I finally got my 2020 refund direct deposited into my bank account. So all
0: good stuff. Yeah, congratulations. So so how long, how long had that taken?
1: Well, I paper filed in March of 2020 and that was not getting processed. So they they extended it to what? you asked for extension it was october 15th does that sound right i think so so in september i kept checking on my account to see if it was processed yet kept pulling my transcript and it wasn't there it just wasn't there so i was like oh my goodness i i need to figure out how to e-file this through the through the free stuff the so I did that and it was accepted, no problem. I know big no-no of paper filing and e-filing and probably making some processing agent super annoyed. But it was finally processed in September and it or received in September. And then it was processed maybe November, saying that there was an adjustment to my refund. I didn't think I was going to get a refund, but they adjusted something. And then it was just held until about two weeks ago. I was on the phone with practitioner priority service and I, I asked him, uh, some, uh, so uh, am I allowed to d- ask you about my own account? And the, the I've done, I've tried this before in the past and I got shot down, but this agent said, eh, you're the power of attorney on, uh, on your own account. He's pretty much so. Go for it. So we looked at it and she said, I don't know why it's being held. It's because it was held for like two months. She's like, I'll release it. So she released it and now it's in my bank account. So lesson, ask practitioner priority service to release your refund. And sometimes it works.
0: Yeah. Good to know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it is crazy that it took this long. Imagine if like regular people who don't talk to the IRS every day, of I'm lucky that I was able to pull my transcript and find out they were just holding it. And then I'm lucky that I could talk to practitioner priority service and have them investigate what's going on. I can't imagine what's, what regular people with who aren't having their refunds sent to them are thinking or feeling right now.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a lot of frustration because I mean, I, I don't think they're a good explanations why things are taking months to years for different things to happen at the IRS, especially with processing. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Andrew. So, so how are you filing your tax return this year? Oh, I'll do it online. I'll (laughs) go through
1: the online method.
0: Yeah. I, I forget what I was listening to last week yeah, maybe, maybe it was the taxpayer advocate service saying that they're recommending people to, yeah, there, there were like three steps, but, but yeah, file electronically, double check that everything is correct that you're submitting. And there, there was like one other step they, they were recommending, but basically they're saying, I, I think if you do that, that it should take three weeks from, from filing to getting a refund. If, yeah maybe step 3 was was having direct deposit but yeah if if you follow those couple steps that I mean it, it runs pretty smoothly and yeah I I can say for my 2020 tax return filing electronically that is the case so between us we can be two different case studies in in how to file your your tax return so yeah, file file electronically if you can and I mean that that otherwise things just get get messed up. I mean it's it's so so slow what i hear for the the paper processing. And yeah, I mean I don't know since the pandemic, but when i've when i've toured the Kansas City campus where they they receive paper returns like they just have them on carts like that they're moving from one place to another you know physically so i have no idea just what it's like now but i mean it's 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 just unreal thinking of, of the backlog of processed paper at the irs and processed paper that is
1: oh yeah and especially if you don't know what's going on you have these taxpayers who send in correspondence and saying uh what's going on with my tax return which you know then that's one more piece of mail that they have to go through and they generate the, thank you for the inquiry. We'll respond to your, then they list whatever it is and and in 60 days. So I know clients, some of my clients have wrote five or six letters trying to get information. And that just piles it on even more. Yeah. I do not want to see that mail room.
0: Well, and unfortunately, I mean, I, I think this, this also connects with Congress needs to give funding to the IRS for technical upgrades. That I mean, I, I think it would be wonderful if if there was an IRS process where every piece of mail they receive got scanned and connected within the IRS that okay, this is a taxpayer, the taxpayer's electronic file and okay, it's this social security number, it gets, gets linked up and, and receives that paperwork. And, you know, certainly someone would have to review it, but I think that would cut down a lot of time if, if all the mail got sorted correctly and, and efficiently. Uh, you know, I guess that should have been part of my, uh, or maybe, maybe it was, but, but part of my, my wishes for the new year Oh. So, so anyway, I th- I think that's, I'm glad to hear you, you got your refund, I, I hope you were able to pay your bills in the meantime, Andrew. Oh, so,
1: I was, don't worry. Nice.
0: <laughs> All right, well, well, thank you for, that was, that was a pretty robust tax discussion we had, even, even though we didn't think we, we had a lot to, to talk through. Yeah,
1: recap, and I am interested to learn more about these tax committees. I, I haven't really paid enough attention to them, but that's something on my to-do list moving forward.
0: Well, I'll I'll forward to you that email, Andrew. So, all right, <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for joining me, and yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll see you at the the virtual ABA meeting. But it's this is oh, yes. fun, and look forward to our next talk, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. We have a Patreon page if you'd like to support this podcast. Providing monetary support for this podcast helps with expenses like equipment or travel to tax conferences. Supporting this podcast through Patreon comes with rewards, so check out our Patreon page. Please rate or review this podcast because positive reviews help get more people to know this podcast exists. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, or the employers of the people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique, so do not take the statements on this program as tax or legal advice. Consult with your own tax professional to provide you with specific advice on your situation. Tune in next time on Tax Justice Warriors for another interesting tax discussion.